Miss Yarra the Bursi. Greetings, heathens. Welcome to Hail Satan. This is the podcast exploring Satanism, culture, and life in general through the eyes of modern Satanists. My name is Joseph Rose. I'm a member of an amazing independent congregation called Satanic Delco, and we welcome members from anywhere in the world. If you want to learn a little more about that, visit satanicdelco.com. I've been struggling to record this episode because I've been very sick for the last week, but I'm going to give it a shot. I apologize if my voice is a little weird through this episode. Today, I'm going to talk about a collection of values that are prioritized in outsider Satanism. First, let's acknowledge some cool Satanists that have joined us on Patreon recently. We've got Pow Pow, Roberts, Chris, Plair, Alisico, Olim, Oliver, JT, Angelica, Colin, Writing Fanatic, Justin, Haley, Lauren, Andrew, and Rose. Thank you guys. I'm sure you know that I appreciate the support very much. You make all of this possible. So thank you. If you all have a moment out there, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. You'll find our links to social media, a form to send me an email, and a link to join up with us all on Patreon. We have a few different tiers to choose from. Go check that out. That is the most direct way you can support me and this show. If you'd like to do that, visit HailSatanPodcast.com. Okay, I'd like to begin by explaining a bit about the core values that are prioritized in outsider Satanism. For comparison, the Satanic Temple has seven tenets that they say are designed to inspire a subjective interpretation of nobility in action and thought, which makes perfect sense for an activist group in particular. They don't have any official canon that expands on those tenets. To some, that's a benefit. To some, that's a flaw. The Church of Satan has nine satanic statements. They also have 11 rules of the earth, and they have nine satanic sins. Despite not buying into all of it, I do give credit to the Church of Satan for expanding on their philosophy in a growing collection of books and essays. There is something to be said for being bold enough to elaborate on a subject in a concrete way. As for outsider Satanism, we have a collection of values that we prioritize. You won't find a list of commandments or rules here, and you certainly won't find a list of sins. Those things are for sheep in need of a shepherd. Each one is accompanied by a very brief synopsis, and in time, each one will be expanded upon through essays and other mediums. This is to be considered a living document that will grow and change as we do. I've already had some fruitful discussions with some of the gang in Satanic Delco 
that have given me some additional perspective and shaped the direction of some of these. So I'm going to run through the list of values as they exist at this moment, along with the brief synopsis of each. And then I will go back and address questions about some of them and some more general questions that have come in also. And I say as they exist at this moment because, again, this is a living document that will absolutely change when it needs to. So let's do it. There are currently eight of them, and these are in no particular order. There are no specific numbers attached to these as of right now. I'll just be using numbers to count them along the way. First up is critical thinking and the pursuit of knowledge. Critical thought is a crucial element in our never-ending pursuit of knowledge. This is true in the context of science as well as our personal lives. Insatiable curiosity motivates us and evidence is paramount. There is no blind faith here. Number two, personal freedom. Generations of religious doctrines have embedded guilt and fear-based abstinence into the lives of many. In stark contrast, we celebrate indulgence, individuality, bodily autonomy, free expression, diverse sexuality, and honesty. Number three, celebration of the self. The most important person in your life is you. This is so obviously true that most people take it for granted and fail to prioritize the need for self-care. It's been said that you can't draw water from an empty well. Self-empowerment and self-love are required to reach your potential and to maximize joy. Number four, justice. Justice is the subjective quality of being fair and reasonable and one's own moral compass will serve as their guide. Even those we detest are considered innocent until proven guilty and should be treated as such. Outsiders are often the victim of unfounded accusations. Alongside this one, I've included a quote from the late Christopher Hitchens that's come to be known as Hitchens' Razor. It says, What can be asserted without evidence can also be dismissed without evidence. Number five, rebellion. Beginning with the fictional book of Genesis, the character Satan in the form of the serpent has acted in rebellion against the tyranny of God. Here in the real world, our veneration of Satan empowers us to continue this rebelliousness against arbitrary authority and the uninspired status quo. Number six, acceptance. Our lives and perspectives are shaped by the unique combination of our lived experiences. No two are alike. Because of this, we use empathy and compassion in an effort to respectfully accept those who differ from us in nearly every way. Number seven, balance. A healthy balance is beneficial to nearly every aspect of your life. It exists in the space between extremes like abstinence and compulsion. We should avoid arbitrary allegiances in favor of educated decision-making. 
And finally, for now, number eight, wonder. Real magic is found in things like the sound of your favorite song, a powerful orgasm, or a mind-expanding psychedelic trip. When our lives become void of the pursuit and appreciation of wonder, that is when our death has begun. Seek out the truly beautiful moments in life. Seize the day. All right. That is a collection of values that are prioritized in outsider Satanism. Ahead of this episode, I shared the website OutsiderSatanism.com to see what questions people might have about these values after a quick first impression. So I will address some of those questions. First, we have some generalized questions, and then I'll get to some that are related to some of the values. First up, from Corbin, he writes, For Outsider Satanism, I want to ask, what is meant by outsider? Is it for the social outsider, which can correlate to the dissenter, adversary, pariah, or outcast? Or is it just a label for this brand of Satanism? What I mean is, if it is for the outsider, then the application needs to be very broad and subjective. Good question, Corbin. Let me see if I can touch on all of that. First of all, yes, the application is very broad. The number one most important trait that defines someone as an outsider is that they feel like an outsider. It doesn't matter what the passerby on the street sees when they look at you. No matter what color you are, where you come from, how much money you have, you can still feel like an outsider for any number of reasons. And when someone feels like the outsider, that affects them in some kind of way. Surely it will affect some more than others. A big part of my initial motivation for defining a new sect of Satanism was simply that there wasn't one that felt like the right fit. And as time goes on, it's clear to me that more and more Satanists feel that same way. I am an outsider to the Church of Satan side because I dare to be critical of LaVey, and to them, there's no room for that. Not to mention all of the ridiculous bullshit that comes along with that bunch that I wouldn't want to be associated with, and the large chunks of LaVey's philosophy that I simply don't agree with. And, of course, I'm an outsider to the TST side, because I dare to be critical of them. And we all know how TST is when it comes to people being publicly critical of them. And there are tons of things related to TST that I don't agree with, and I find much of what they do to be insincere, contradictory, and intentionally misleading. That's my really simplified, very polite version of it. In conversations within Satanic Delco, we've often talked and joked about being the outsiders amongst the outsiders. And that's true. But for myself and countless others, we already felt like the outsider in one way or another in life long before TST came along or before we identified as Satanists. And like I said, there are a million different ways or reasons that someone can feel like the outsider. And perhaps I'm veering away from the question a bit, 
But another motivation to define outsider Satanism is because the word Satanism or Satanist doesn't mean much of anything. To one whole group, being a Satanist means that you adhere strictly to Anton LaVey's words, and anything other than that isn't Satanism. And to another whole group, being a Satanist means you're part of an activist group that has almost nothing to do with the pre-existing Satanism that was already around for 50 years before it. And to yet another group of people, being a Satanist means that you literally worship the devil. When things don't have agreed-upon definitions, it makes communication impossible. So rather than muddy the waters even more, outsider Satanism has a clear label separating it from the others, giving it some actual meaning. I hope I answered your question somewhere in there. Thank you, Corbin. Next up, from Jesse. You say part of this is to refine past satanic works to create a new philosophy. And excuse my ignorance, but what will outsider Satanism organically create rather than pulling from prior sources? Is this something that is too early to tell? I love the show and enjoy what you do. Thank you for it all. Thank you, Jesse. Okay. So my plan has never been to simply mix and match phrases and parts from pre-existing sources. But I think nearly every philosophy involves a bit of that, unless the premise of the philosophy is to completely reject everything that came before it. And that is certainly not the premise of outsider Satanism. If you look at Anton LaVey and his Satanic Bible, he obviously pulled from many sources, Might is Right, Ayn Rand, John D., to name a few. He took the parts that he felt were valuable and aligned with his feelings and left plenty from those sources behind. And then the mortar that holds all of it together is the stuff that came from Anton. That's what made it Satanism. And then many years later, members of the Church of Satan felt the desire to start the Satanic Temple. They took inspiration and ideas and imagery from LaVey's Satanism, mixed it together with humanist philosophy and the goal of political activism, and they called it Satanism. <laughs> and the mortar that holds it all together is their unique interpretation of things, their delivery of it. So in the case of outsider Satanism, I see seeds of things that work for me in LaVey, TST, some of the same things that influence them, like humanism and other things. But those are just some of the ingredients. Sugar and flour don't make a cake, right? So I think you'll find that the vast majority is organically created, and the overall cake that we bake is unique. Thank you, Jesse. Next up, we have Gareth. He writes, I like it. I was wondering if you found that TST is a bit too soft at times. This feels like a neat balance between the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. It's got the general don't be a dick of TST, but also the talk shit, get hit mentality of the Church of Satan, just less pretentious and over the top. What do you think? You know, I don't know that I would have thought to word it quite that way, but that's a reasonable first impression. 
I don't think it's surprising that we can find some good things about both of those. When I was talking about the value of balance just before, I mentioned avoiding arbitrary allegiances, which I think is really important. I think more self-identifying Satanists need to really practice what they preach when it comes to critical thinking in that regard. Far too often, people take a knee-jerk defense of any criticism toward an organization, and hopefully having a reasonable place in between the two will offer some people a more natural fit. Gareth also goes on to say, I also find the TST reliance on politics to be obnoxious. I want ritual to be apolitical because I spend so much time campaigning for radical left-wing causes. Well, I'm with you. TST represents the mixing of politics and religion, or church and state. And obviously, politics is the majority of it for them. I don't think I'm saying anything new by pointing out that TST was built on political activism, and over time, the religious aspects of it were sprinkled in as an afterthought, mostly in order to gain standing in legal cases. You only need to take a brief look at the Satanic Temple's website to see where their priorities are. It's not my preference, but it's there for the people who want that. Luckily for all of us, they aren't the only game in town. Next up, we have Kurt. Having read through the values, they certainly reflect my philosophy and way of living. However, for me, all of the values listed can be found within the Satanic Bible and Church of Satan canon. Why did you feel the need to create a separate entity, and what do you feel is lacking or in need of change in the other organizations? Not a critique, merely a curiosity. All right. Kurt, I disagree with the assessment that these values are shared by Levian Satanism, and I'll illustrate some examples of why that is. First, Anton LaVey had a view of abortion. I will read you his words. Anton says, Abortion is unnatural and unnecessary. Man is the only animal who practices such wanton killing of its young. And yet man considers himself emancipated and more highly evolved than any other species. Legalized abortion would have a disastrously demoralizing effect on our society, for it would further instill the notion that human life is one of the cheapest commodities in the world. So, not only is Anton directly against the idea of bodily autonomy, but if I read you that quote and told you it was from an evangelical Christian, it would feel natural and make perfect sense. I think my episodes examining the Satanic Bible illustrate the importance of balance being included in our values here. I can't remember how many times I found myself saying, well, this is almost a good idea, but Anton is too extreme about it. He was so focused on being anti-Christian and leaning on the might-is-right social Darwinism stuff that he pretty much ignored the idea of a reasonable balance from the get-go. And with acceptance, it says, we use empathy and compassion in an effort to respectfully accept those who differ from us. And Anton is a stated elitist. 
the social Darwinism stuff is probably about the opposite of acceptance. And at the end there, you asked, what do you feel is lacking or in need of change in the other organizations? And man, there is just no way to give a short answer to that one. I'm sure I could and probably will write quite a bit about exactly that. But if one were to listen to enough of the past episodes of this podcast, I'm sure there are plenty of examples that come up from time to time. Thank you, Kurt. All right. Next, I have questions that relate to some of these specific values. I'll just go down the list and address a few of these. The first one is critical thinking and the pursuit of knowledge. I'll reiterate what I wrote about this one. It says, critical thought is a crucial element in our never-ending pursuit of knowledge. This is true in the context of science as well as our personal lives. Insatiable curiosity motivates us and evidence is paramount. There is no blind faith here. The question is, is there room for agnosticism? Is it okay for us generally to not care enough about a topic to form an opinion on it? The simple answer is yes. We all have lives and we all have a unique set of experiences and priorities that motivate us towards certain things and away from other things. We can't all care about everything. And sometimes you care a whole lot about a certain thing. You find that thing to be among the most urgent, important things in the whole world. And when you find out that someone else doesn't really even give that thing a thought, you might be tempted to have a real feeling or judge them for that. And I would strongly suggest not doing that. Later on, we'll talk more about another one of our values here, which is acceptance, but we'll get to that one. So yes, a person can have an insatiable curiosity, but that doesn't mean it applies to every single detail of every single subject on earth. We use balance, which is another one of the values on our list. Another question about this one, is willful ignorance a thing and when is it a problem? The term willfully ignorant refers to those who lack the information or facts because they refuse to acknowledge them. Willful ignorance is definitely a thing, of course. And I would say that just about all of us have some of that. Just imagine any number of circumstances where you glance over a headline or hear people talking about some topic that you know next to nothing about and have no interest in knowing about. It might be something like gun control, or it might be about classic car engines. You are being willfully ignorant to that topic. If I see people talking about some Pokemon game or the details of some programming language I've never heard of, I probably don't give a fuck. I'm still a very curious person who loves to learn, and I occasionally become obsessed with a new skill or topic of interest. But there's no way I can apply that to every last thing. I am fine with being ignorant to many, many things. Now, the other part of that question is when does it become a problem? The simplest answer I can give is that it becomes a problem 
when it starts to negatively impact your life. Now, I can already hear the gears turning for some people. Some people will say, there are certain things in the world that cannot be ignored. For you to knowingly ignore these critical issues is violence. And here is the most valuable piece of advice I can give you related to those people. Please listen carefully. Fuck them. Those people have, from atop their moral high horse, decided what is right and what is important, and they want to impose their opinions on everyone else. And if you don't go along with it, they will try to cancel you. They are tyrants. We can't be all things to all people all the time. We just can't. Do I personally have priorities or social issues that I think are extremely important and wish that everyone else cared about them the way I do? Yes. Do I think the world would be a genuinely better place if others got on board with these things? Yes, I do. But we all need to be realistic, humble, and grounded enough to realize that we are just one of the 8 billion human animals running around this planet. My views and priorities are no more special or valuable than anyone else's, and neither are yours. Next question is, is there anything that we have a responsibility to be educated about and to care about? For example, some might say climate change or social justice issues. Okay. First, let me say that I'm taking the we mentioned in the questions to mean all people in the world. Generally speaking, no, there are no certain things that one is required to educate themselves on. For requirement to be a thing, there would have to be some sort of master in place setting the requirements as he sees fit. We don't have that. Do I personally think people should get educated about things that I feel are very important? Yes, but I'm just a person. And my list is surely different than some other person. And that list is probably different than yours. There are times when it's more circumstantial. One could say, to be a part of this club or this job, we require you to have certain knowledge. That makes perfect sense. Should we require certain knowledge before one is able to vote? We probably should. Because as I stated in our value of balance, we should avoid arbitrary allegiances in favor of educated decision-making. Educated decisions are far better than bullshit decisions based on four social media posts and a clickbait headline, and it would result in a better society overall. But we will almost surely never require that, so it's mostly irrelevant. And the reason we won't require that is because uneducated people are easier to manipulate. And easy to manipulate is exactly how your favorite politician wants us all to be. Next up, we have acceptance. And I wasn't expecting this at all, but as it turns out, acceptance is the one that seemed to really get people's attention and offer a challenge. 
I got quite a few questions on this one. Many of them were sort of duplicates. And so to reiterate, this one is acceptance. Our lives and perspectives are shaped by the unique combination of our lived experiences. No two are alike. Because of this, we use empathy and compassion in an effort to respectfully accept those who differ from us in nearly every way. Adam writes in, Generally, I would agree with the concept of acceptance, but there are certain types of people who follow certain ideologies that I cannot bring myself to accept. For example, fascists. Your definition does include language like nearly and in an effort to, to sort of rule out the inclusion of absolutely all human beings. But still, maybe if it was understanding as opposed to acceptance, I could better align. It's a tough one. Thank you, Adam. And yeah, I think you found the answer in there. No part of this is meant to tell people that you must accept all people all the time, no matter what. That could never be true. And I'll mention it a lot, but balance plays a critical role. We are all going to use our judgment, but I think that in a general sense, acceptance is a quality to be valued. We want to be accepted with all of our quirky, blasphemous, perhaps atypical beliefs and behaviors. And so this should serve as a reminder to use empathy and compassion and just lean toward accepting those who are different than us. If you go back to an episode I did about forgiveness, I think it's very similar. Next, to what degree do we accept intolerance from others? If someone is being overtly racist, let's use the example of self-identifying KKK types. To what degree do we accept them? Once again, one of the other values on our list is balance, and that has to exist in pretty much every part of our lives. But to what degree do we accept KKK types? Well, I suppose we don't. To me, and hopefully to you, being a racist is stupid and despicable. That's an easy call to make, right? Or is it? What exactly does not accepting them look like? Do we put them to death? Do we identify and assault them and try to hurt them because they have a feeling or belief that I find terrible? No, probably not. And if you identify as a Satanist, trust me when I tell you, there are plenty of people out there who think you should be assaulted or put to death. In our satanic bubble, that might sound ridiculous, but it's true. And here's another part that complicates it. I've seen people get accused of racism many times when they are almost certainly not racist. So, do we only shun or punish the racists who openly admit it? Because that's probably not very many overall. Or, do we also shun all the racists who are only racists because an outraged group of motivated people on the internet called them a racist? Or do we have elections and create a special council of moral elites who are put in charge of judging others 
to determine if they're racist enough to deserve some sort of punishment. So the question was, to what degree do we accept intolerance from others? The answer is, use your judgment. You're a fucking Satanist. I can't tell you what to feel or how intensely to feel it. Personally, I wouldn't tolerate racism or anything like that from anyone in any group that I'm a part of. And that judgment would be up to me. Next question, what does acceptance look like? Okay, here's a maybe silly, small time, but real life example many of us have seen play out several times, I'm sure. A person in a group needs everyone to know how moral they are. So they send out the virtue signal with, fuck Marilyn Manson. He's a gross abuser shithead, and I would never support him. And then, in Pavlovian response, the edgy rebel in the group says, Marilyn Manson is innocent. These people are all liars, and Antichrist Superstar is awesome. What should these people do next? They should accept the common reality that other people will feel differently than they do sometimes, and that's okay. It doesn't make the other person bad or toxic, or lesser in any way. Lived experiences are unique, and they're going to result in differences among us. We're all responsible for setting our own threshold for what is tolerable to us and what isn't. But if we make it a habit of building that wall between us and everyone who's different from us, we're never going to learn anything and humanity will suffer. I think we should always be mindful of what being the outsider can feel like. For some, it's an empowering feeling, but for others, it can be very isolating. It often comes along with feeling insecure or depressed. So when you see that in someone, even when it might come along with some abrasive behavior or personality, try to be patient, try to empathize with that person and let them feel some acceptance, maybe for the first time. It's not always easy to do, but it's worth the effort. A small gesture could lead that person down a path toward being a better person, and in doing so, you chip away at making yourself a better person. Let me remind you of a familiar story. Many of you have seen a video like this somewhere. Someone discovers this starving, abused, abandoned junkyard dog tied to a post outside somewhere. It's filthy, and you can't even get close enough to it to check on it because it's lashing out trying to bite everyone that comes near it. It's become an angry, violent, dangerous creature. The world is a safer place without it. But of course, there's that one person. There's that person who, for whatever reason, makes the effort to look past this angry, violent, dangerous behavior just long enough to empathize, long enough to ask, what happened here? Why is this animal acting this way? What must have happened to it for it to be in such a state of mind right now? Has it been abused for the last six years and left for dead? 
How would we reasonably expect one to act in this situation? And of course, the long journey ends with the dog being rescued and treated with compassion for the first time in its life and nursed back to health, and he's a chill, happy dog now. I know that's very picturesque and lovely, but it's also real life. And if you were that fucked up animal, you'd be thankful for the person that gave you every chance, even when it seemed like you were a lost cause. I believe there was a time when if you described someone you know as a very accepting person, people might think, oh, that's really nice. That's a nice quality in a person. But nowadays, after everyone has overdosed on social media, memorized all of this month's buzzwords, and done their best to surround themselves with mirror images of themselves, the reaction to a person who is accepting is totally different. Now people's first thought seems to be, ew, acceptance is bad and dangerous. Everyone just has Nazis and racists on the brain all the time. There is this overwhelming cynicism despite the fact that the world is objectively better and safer than it has ever been. Of course, there is lots and lots of work to be done as we slowly inch toward our utopia. Yes, there are bad people out there, and that really sucks. And to some people, you are the bad people. But let's not ignore the reality that never in history have people been more safe, equal, and free than they are today. I hope that cynicism can be reduced over time, and I hope that positive progress continues. Our next one focuses on personal freedom. Generations of religious doctrines have embedded guilt and fear-based abstinence into the lives of many. In stark contrast, we celebrate indulgence, individuality, bodily autonomy, free expression, diverse sexuality, and honesty. The question is, honesty stands out as being not like the others. Why is it included here? Yes, it does stand out a bit. And first let me point out that there are times when we probably wouldn't be and shouldn't be honest. So as usual, this is not an absolute. But the specific honesty that I want to focus on here is the honesty that sets you free. That's why it belongs here with personal freedom. When you need to carry around a lie or hide part of your true identity, it can take a serious toll on your mental health. I've experienced this. When you're finally able to be completely honest about who you are to yourself and to others, it is a tremendous weight lifted. I know that it might not always feel possible, You might fear the consequences, and maybe there will be some consequences. But I highly recommend being your true self as often as you possibly can. Next, in addition to respecting the freedoms of others, do we have a responsibility to protect those freedoms ourselves? Well, responsibility is a tricky word. We are primarily responsible for ourselves. So, 
and alignment with these values doesn't include any obligation to take a specific direct action of any kind. All of us will define our own priorities and the ways in which we choose to take action in relation to those priorities or not. I could easily sit here and tell you which things to care about and exactly how to go about proving that you really care about them. But I would hate to have someone do that to me, so I wouldn't dare do it to you. Next up is justice. Justice is the subjective quality of being fair and reasonable, and one's own moral compass will serve as their guide. Even those we detest are considered innocent until proven guilty and should be treated as such. Outsiders are often the victim of unfounded accusations. Hitchens Razor says, What can be asserted without evidence can also be dismissed without evidence. The question is, is there any obligation to fight for justice? No, there's no obligation to fight for anything ever. You'll decide when you feel motivated enough to fight for something, and you'll decide what your place in that fight looks like. The next question is, is there a place for retributive justice? Generally, Western society and scholars seem in agreement that retributive justice is not beneficial to the whole as it is not restorative and does not prevent crime. But it does feel good, so... First, let me be clear, I am far from an expert on retributive justice. I'm sure I'm ignorant to most of what there is to know on the subject. But yeah, I think there's definitely a place for it. I think it does prevent crime. I think we all wish it would prevent more crime. But I can tell you without a doubt, there are crimes that I don't commit simply out of fear of legal retribution. So I think the best system would be applying a reasonable balance when combining it with restorative justice, reformative justice, and some of the many other ideas out there. There is rarely a perfect one-size-fits-all solution to any serious problem. Next up is wonder. Real magic is found in things like the sound of your favorite song, a powerful orgasm, or a mind-expanding psychedelic trip. When our lives become void of the pursuit and appreciation of wonder, that is when our death has begun. Seek out the truly beautiful moments in life. Seize the day. Our question is, what is the practical application of this? How do we increase our sense of wonder? How can we find it if we lost it? Well, I don't know, but you better try. This one is pretty hard to condense into a brief and useful answer. There's no formula in place to reignite or maintain a sense of wonder. This is that magic space where we get into so many intangible elements like emotions. And this is pretty much the only context where magic plays a role in outsider Satanism. I could suggest that you perform a ritual or try some drugs but at the end of the day, you are responsible for your experience. The main person who suffers when your life becomes void of wonder is you. 
you've got some certain random number of days that you'll be alive. And with one final breath, the whole thing will come to a silent end, after which you will never fuck again. You will never hear your favorite Soundgarden album again, and you will never experience another hug or kiss or cute dog. So if knowing all of that isn't enough motivation to seek out a little something-something, then perhaps you're already dead. Next up is celebration of the self. The most important person in your life is you. This is so obviously true that most people take it for granted and fail to prioritize the need for self-care. It's been said that you can't draw water from an empty well. Self-empowerment and self-love are required to reach your potential and to maximize joy. Our question is, how does the value or need for self-care interact with bodily autonomy in regards to assisted suicide? Okay, we start out with the idea that everyone is responsible for themselves. Bodily autonomy is the top-level umbrella covering the choices we make related to ourselves. And under the umbrella of autonomy, there are things like self-care in all of its forms and also the choice to end one's life. As I said in a recent episode, I don't encourage anyone to take their own life. But in the spirit of bodily autonomy, I think that we should have the right to end our own life. And we should be free to do it without guilt or shame. Next question asks, how much of self-care is a personal responsibility to reach out to others for help, seeking therapy or medical treatment or financial aid? Again, it's about this word responsibility. If there's a choice or motivation to reach out for help, then yeah, it's 100% your responsibility. But there is no rule or moral obligation of any kind to do anything. Would it possibly benefit a person to reach out to others for help? Yes. We would all benefit from eating a healthy diet and getting lots of regular exercise and water. I think most of us can benefit from therapy. But these are choices that we need to make on our own. And it's my opinion that we should take the time, to whatever degree it's possible, to focus on self-care. And that's all I've got for you right now. If you want to go take a look at these values, you can find them at OutsiderSatanism.com. Depending on when you read them, they may be exactly the same as what I've read you today, or they may be updated. And as usual, I strongly encourage you to write to me with any questions you might have about them. When I'm forced to think about them and answer your questions, I think that only strengthens the foundation of all of this. I'd like to thank Kirsten for helping me out quite a bit on this episode, and thank you guys for tolerating my probably weird voice today. If you have a moment, visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. I'd like for you to stay safe out there and hail Satan.